uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 15. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do so with gentleness and respect. So as we're in this series, we're asking, how do we do that? We're dealing with some pretty tough issues. A couple weeks ago, we dealt with the issue and the topic of homosexuality. And we had a conversation with Calvin, which many of you um, attended at, and that'll be, that's up on YouTube, and you could watch that conversation. This conversation will not be as long, we hope. We, there was so much to cover with that. Um, there's a little bit less to cover, and Kenny and I have prepared that um, today. But that's what we're trying to do as a church, is we're trying to figure out how do we best give an answer for the hope that we have. And maybe it's... Um, maybe it's through you're dealing with somebody who who deals with the topic of homosexuality. Maybe you're dealing with somebody who deals with the issues behind science and atheism and and all these things. Or maybe you deal with somebody from a pluralistic worldview, which essentially means everybody's right. And so how do we deal with that? Those are the major issues of our day. And so um, I'd like to welcome up uh, to our second conversation, Mr. Kenny Evans. And as he's coming up... As he's coming up, grab this That's a little tangled. As as he's coming up, I do want to say that Kenny and I went to college together. We know each other. Um, these conversations you don't just have with strangers, because quite frankly, how many times do you really get into it with a stranger on on these topics? So, Kenny and I went to college together. We had a failed bike trip. Well, actually, it was a successful bike trip together. Kenny and I, I told him how I rode my bike to the beach and back, and he thought that was cool. And he said, let's do that sometime. And we, it's like a 75-mile round trip. And on the way back, his be, like we were a mile away from my house, and his back tire blew. So, um, but Kenny and I have a rapport. We're not just strangers. We know each other. And the idea of this is you're probably not going to get into these conversations with people unless... Um, you know them well. And so how do we navigate those conversations? And so as we get going, Kenny, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, give us a little bit of just who you are. All right. I don't, is this working? That, that oh. is on. Well, hello, everybody. I first would like to thank everybody for welcoming me here and, um, and having this conversation. This is, I think, it's pretty awesome for any church to do. Um, I definitely appreciate Dave doing this and, you know, just engaging in these conversations with people you wouldn't normally uh, um, converse with, <laughs> at, at yeah. least about these topics. Uh, my name is Kenny Evans. I, like you said, we went to college together. I'm actually, uh, I actually grew up a Christian, which makes this rather interesting. You know, Christian background, Christian family. Went to First Church of God Christian School. Uh, <laughs> you know, for, from kindergarten through eighth grade, South Bay Lutheran High School from ninth grade to twelfth grade. You know, was raised in the Bible, but it was really around my junior, senior year when I started being trained as a scientist and, you know, developing my scientific mind where I started to question everything. And by the time I got to college, I sort of grew out of that and, you know, officially called myself an an, an agnostic. And so, you know, this is a conversation. This has been very deep to me my entire life. You know, it's been a part of my life. I absolutely enjoy engaging in these conversations with people who who like to have them with me, you know, I have legitimate questions. I'm 
not one of these atheists who just hates all Christians. I mean, everybody in my life is a Christian. So <laughs> it's a topic I enjoy having. Uh, um, I, can I introduce my family? Oh, yeah, my, that'd be great. My family's here as well. You know, my mm-hmm. wife, Selena, my two daughters, and my mother, who actually graduated yesterday with two bachelors. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what were, Kenny, what were her bachelor's degrees in? Um, that is a good question. Africana studies and, and psychology. Okay. Wonderful. <laughs> um, so anyway, and, you know, she herself is a Christian, and, you know, I, I argue with her quite often. <laughs> I'm just trading with your mom right now because she'll win every time. <laughs> so anyway, that's, yeah, so that's, you know, a major part of why I'm here and why we're having this conversation. My scientific background is in physics. Um, that's where my degrees are in, and uh, I work with an engineering firm now, and so I don't do too much physics day-to-day, but it's still a big part of my life. You know, my studies, when I'm bored, are pretty much scientific textbooks. <laughs> I live a boring life. Um, <laughs> and that's sort of who I am. Well, thank you for coming no today. Kenny, you know, um, I know, oh, that's an iPad. Um, you know, you've been trained in physics, but I also, I should tell everybody, I have a degree also in the sciences, political science. Um, it's not as closely related to like quantum physics, but it's close. I, it's not even remotely. The fact that there's a science behind the word political is just laughable. But, um, but anyways, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, Kenny, you said you grew out of that belief when you began to study in the sciences. And um, one of the questions we've pre-discussed... Oh, and by the way, we should also say that in your bulletin, there is a phone number you could text message questions in. The second half of this will take questions. Kenny has some questions for me. And so if you, wanna, if you have any questions, you could ask them. Also, it, there's those little papers on the back of the chair. If you want to write a question for today, feel free to write that and lift that up. And um, Josh over there has already said that he would, uh, he would get that. Oh, thank you, Elmo. We have a cable malfunction here. But you said that you grew out of that belief, and those are the words that you use. Tell us a little bit how rational thinking has taken you away from belief in God. Can you explain that a little bit? Right. So what I mean by grew out of out of Christianity, I, I, I feel that I was, you know, not to offend anybody here, but I feel I was brainwashed into my Christian thinking, right? I mean, at these Christian schools, you're this beaten to your head. You know, if you don't believe this, if you don't believe that, you're going to hell, right? This is the way, this is the only way, you know, you have to believe it, don't question it. And literally, you know, this may have been right or wrong on my school's part, but, you know, kids have been kicked out of class for questioning things too far. You know, and we would get in trouble and so forth. And that was the mindset I, you know, was brought up into. And even in high school, I remember, you know, just having questions in my own head and afraid to ask them, afraid to even question them myself, right? Like, why do I believe a man walked on water? Who saw it? You know, just because it was written down, does that really mean it happened? Okay, stop thinking that you're going to hell, right? <laughs> <laughs> and hell thoughts. It was, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a scary thought, and that... I think that prevented me for years from really questioning things on a scientific level. And I would say it was sort of around the junior, senior year of high school when I just started to, you know, I couldn't ask my teachers. I couldn't ask the pastor of my school. I had to, you know, 
this right around the time the internet was starting to come to be. <laughs> um, man, I'm old now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right around the time the internet was coming around, and I would now, you know, go in there and start looking around and poking and asking these questions myself, and I just realized, you know, I don't have to believe what people told me to believe. You know, and to me, there was no scientific basis in anything that I believed, you know, as far as Christianity was concerned. I felt I was forced to believe things that just didn't make sense, things that don't happen, right? People don't walk on water. People, you know, don't touch somebody and suddenly they become, you know, uh, not blind, et cetera. And these things just don't happen in real life. Yet I'm hearing these stories over and over, you know, the same way I believed in Santa, at, you know, Santa Claus at some point, I grew out of it. You know, there was no scientific basis for it. And as I grew scientifically, I just felt that was pulling me away from, you know, what I was forced to believe at a young age, if hmm. that answers the question. No, that's, that's great. Okay. I think that that um, is where, honestly, where a lot of people are at. They, they grow up in some sort of system of faith. They go away to college. And, I mean, this really speaks to us as parents as well because we have to ask this question, how are we going to raise our kids? Um, and, you know, that idea where Kenny was, had all these legitimate questions, there's an age range where all of a sudden your brain starts waking up and you just start asking questions. And one, how do you know what you really believe unless you ask some questions? And two, how do you know, I mean, unless you address those doubts, I should say. And then how do you know unless you really doubt your doubts? Right. You know, how do you really begin to know what you believe? Right. And so you've got you to gotta address those doubts, and you've got to doubt those doubts to find out if those doubts are even real doubts. Absolutely. Um, so, so have you doubted your doubts? I doubt my doubts every day. Oh. I think my wife could attest to this. We, we will argue for hours about absolutely nothing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sounds fulfilling. Just a, <laughs> a random, a random yeah. question. What is dust? And we will just go at it for hours and <laughs> try to make a, you know, try to understand it. Does and it eventually think, get back to a supernova or... <laughs> No. I think so. Okay. Uh, but yes, I, I question everything, even, you know, things I strongly believe in. Even as a scientist, I step back and I say, wait a minute, but this doesn't make sense. Wait a minute, but this doesn't make sense. Right. And I mean, this is a constant fight in my head. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's partly why I read so much. And I have yeah. this list of things I, you know, I want to get into and read more about just because I feel I believe a certain way, but I don't like to feel like I have to believe it. I like to feel like it's been proven to me. Right. One way or the other. Right. And if it has not, then I don't feel justified believing it, so I question those all the time. Absolutely. You, you bring up a question with, with this evidence and, and all that. You bring up this question to, to me that is kind of central in the mind of society and culture, and that's the question is, is science and belief in God incompatible? I would say yes. I, I think the... The entire premise of faith, believing in things without any evidence, believing in things with, you know, um, this this book says it, therefore you must believe it. I believe that completely. Oh, I totally agree is, with you. Is uh, is is incongruent with scientific thinking. Oh, I totally agree with you. <laughs> we agree there because I don't think anybody ought to just believe the Bible just because they. They've, they've, because I've said it up here. Right. I think that yeah. even the Bible says in First Thessalonians, the chapter five, it says uh, Paul basically is like, "Hey, here's what here's what we said, but test it. You know, make sure this is true. Prove, you know, make sure this is really true in your lives. Test it with your lives." And so, yeah, I would tell anybody, don't just believe it either A because I said it or B because the Bible says it. But actually, you could put the Bible to the test and, and test it and find out whether or not 
that's true. But yeah, we, um, I think for a lot of years, a lot of people were afraid to address doubts because right. what if people in the church just left? You know, what if people, we had this fear, so we never addressed it. And even when you were growing up, I mean, I know when I was growing up, it, I, I didn't really grow up as much in the church as you did. Um, but I even remember people asking questions, and, like in youth group, and it's like, hey, man, it just says it in the Bible. And we came from a culture that completely presupposes authority right. in Scripture, whereas now we're in a culture that's completely the opposite. The Bible has not, does not have that authority. And so it's just an interesting place that we're in. So, okay, so if you're a scientist, um, agnostic, in other words, you're not really sure whether or not there is a God. Is that how you define it? I would define it as in, I, I cannot stand here and say there's proof one way or the other. I cannot okay. stand here and say there's definitely a God, there's definitely no God, right? I think even arguing that there's no God is completely unscientific, right? There's, right. there's no scientific evidence. Science doesn't either. speak to that. Exactly. Okay. However, I, you know, there's no evidence that there is one. Therefore, I'm going to just stay with the fact that what I don't see doesn't exist right. until there's evidence otherwise. So I sort of lean into the agnostic atheist realm, right? I'm not the atheist that says there is no God. I believe there's room for just I don't know, right? Mm. There's always this third answer. You ask me a question, it's yes, it's no, or it's I don't know. And I would say it's definitely I don't know, but I definitely mean no. <laughs> right. Well, I know you're so. going to get into questions on what I talked about last week with right. the sciences, but um, there was that Bertrand Russell quote that I put in there. Uh, I, I'm just curious what you think about that. Bertrand Russell, is, of course, is the uh, late 19th, early 20th century philosopher, scientist, mathematician, logician, who said what cannot be proven by science cannot be proven at all. Where, I, I, think, I think I sort of believe that. I would, I would say that's, that's sort of my mindset. I mean, okay. if, if science is unable to answer it, maybe it's just one of those questions we don't know. We will never know. Okay. Right? So I mean, the question then is, are there any, is there anything in life that cannot be proven by science? <laughs> uh, I guess if you're looking for proof, I would say no, there's not. I mean, can you have beliefs? Can we have emotions? Can we have, you know, I can't scientifically prove that I love my wife, but I guess I'm not necessarily in a position where I need to prove it scientifically. So I would say, yes, there are things that can be I don't know how to do that. That exists without yeah, the proof of science. Exactly. Exists without the need for scientific proof. Okay. Right. But I would, um, I would say, you know, as far as, you know, the origins of the earth, as far as things on that realm where science and the Bible tend to have some disagreement, I definitely stand with science where if science has not answered it and if science cannot answer it yet, then it may be one of those questions we just can't answer. Yeah. And I'm open to the idea that there are things we may never know. Okay. Right. I mean, we just... We won't know everything, and I'm I'm fine with that idea. Okay. And yeah, and you know, if Bertrand Russell, if we were to just like wake him up from the grave, and and the one <laughs> question I would ask him is, could you prove that one statement scientifically? Right. You know, can you prove that there's nothing that um, I mean, all truth has to come through science? Is essentially what he was saying. And right. Say, all right, give give me a lab experiment that says that that's true, and then I'll believe you. And, and I think proving something that doesn't exist is impossible. Proving something doesn't exist is impossible. Proving something right. does not exist is impossible. Is impossible. So okay. It's, yeah. 
That's a tough one. Okay. (laughs) So, all right. So let's get into now. We'll leave that for a little bit later. Let's get into your narrative. We, We talked a little bit last week. We all have worldviews. In the Christian church, our worldview is that God created the world. Um, and there's a range within that worldview of seven days, and the world is 6,000 years old. Um, just so you know, I don't believe that that creates a division within us among the Christian community if you don't believe that, because there's, also, there's old earth and young earth. I'm an old earth creationist. And I also, um, now that we're talking about this, I wanted to show you a little video uh, because I had forgotten to show you this in the very beginning, but I wanted to show you a little video about the tension that does exist between uh, science and religion. And this is something that probably will be offensive to you if you're a Christian, and, uh, but I thought it was just very illuminating. So, Josh, do we have that video up? black hole, an enormous well of gravity in the very fabric of space. But what do we know about black holes? What are they really? They don't exist. If it doesn't say anything about it in this book, then you don't need to think about it. Our vast, infinite universe has been the source of questions since the dawn of mankind. But all those questions can be answered quite easily. The answer is, God did it. In this beautiful white church minivan, we can go anywhere. From the event horizon of a wormhole to the picketing of a Planned Parenthood. We all know God lives in heaven. But what do we see when we look to the heavens? Planets? Stars, constellations, I see something, a man's face. That man is God. So God is just some old white man with a big bushy beard looking down on us from heaven? Yes, yes he is. But who created the heavens and the stars? God. Why did he do that? Tisk, tisk, tisk. That's not for you to question or know. We know from fossil records that our planet was once ruled by giant, ferocious reptiles. And what happened to them? Nothing. They never existed. Satan put these fossils on Earth to trick you. Did he get you? Don't worry about it. It's never too late to come back into the fold. Satan, you old jokester. Carl Sagan said, we are all made of star stuff. And he was right. But God made that star stuff. We are all made of star stuff. Except for women, who are made from the rib of a man. And what about the sun? God made it. The only sun you need to be thinking about is the holy sun, Jesus. The moon. Man walked on it, God made it. Ants, God made them. Dogs, God made them. Trees, God made them. Gay people, God didn't make them. They chose that for themselves. Cars, America made them, but God made America. Sandwiches, God made them. Everything, God made it. Well, 
We were supposed to do six more episodes, but we seem to have answered all of your questions in the first two minutes, so we are going to air color bars with subliminal messages for the rest of our time. I'm Jared, Community Outreach Leader of the Creationist Baptist Church of Alabama. Thank you for your time. God bless. So that's my... All right, we can turn that off. Thank you so much. That's my narr- That's like kind of the narrative of how the world sort of sees the church when it comes to this issue of creationism and where do we all come from. I mean, and um, largely we could probably take some blame for that as a church. We'd probably say, yeah, we, we probably could take a little bit of blame for that. But Kenny, what is your narrative on how the world came to be? All right, so now we're getting into a pretty tough topic here. <laughs> Um, so let me first say this is definitely one of those topics where I'm, while I happily admit I don't know, I don't have the, all the answers, right? I'll sort of give my idea, but I'm extremely open to the fact that this is wrong and, you know, the second new evidence hits that says otherwise, I will shift accordingly. But uh, my, my belief is, you know, our universe as we know it started with the Big Bang. Right, it started with all the matter that exists today in a singularity, and that exploded, and things formed into what they are at this point. Right, gravity forces things to come together, and things come together in many different, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, combinations. And some of those com- combinations um, lead to the possibility of life. Right, the idea, you know that life cannot come from, you know, that, that something animate cannot come from something inanimate. I know it's extremely hard to comprehend, right? You know, imagining a rock just suddenly popping up and walking or something, right? Sort of just seems impossible. But when you put the ingredients for life together in, with the right conditions, right? And, of course, this has been tried billions and billions of times over the course of the life of the universe. At some point, you're likely to get that that right combination with the right ingredients, with the right uh, so conditions over, for everything to exist, and then things grow from there. So what you're right? saying is, like, over 14 billion years, our planet just kind of happened to have the right ingredients, and pow, it's like you put all the right ingredients in an oven, and they just sort of, it just sort of baked itself a cake. That's exactly the case. I think Earth okay. is the one case out of the billions and billions of planets and stars and so forth, right, one of possibly others. I'm not going to say Earth is the only but Earth is definitely one of those where it just so worked out that life had the right ingredients and the conditions to exist. Okay, right. well then, let's, talk, let's skip ahead 14 billion years and talk about human intelligence. How did, how did humans come to be then? What's your narrative? Right, so once again, I, I do follow the evolutionary theory, right, which says that you know, life started from very simplistic cells, right, cellular organisms and so forth, and in the fight for life, in the fight for survival and for um, procreation, right, these, uh, these cells grew into more complex cells, and then over time, they grew into what we know today, right, which are all the different animals, all the different, you know, every, everything we see alive in nature, right? This idea that evolution is just an unguided, you know, uh, randomness, I don't necessarily think, I, 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 I get where you're going when you say it's unguided and that we don't believe there's somebody there pointing a the finger saying, make this happen this way. But I do believe the, you know, in the fight for survival, in the fight for, you know, procreating, uh, that there is sort of a guide there, right? There is reason for certain cells living and certain cells not. And because of that, we grow more complex every day, 
right? And I believe that complexity can come from non-complexity in that sense. So essentially from small microorganisms evolved human life. Correct. Um, just out of curiosity, it is a, it is a theory. And that's something that all, most Christians will say. It is a theory, but what is the evidence for the theory? <laughs> okay, can we stop there for a second? Yeah, I, I want to definitely correct this, this idea of a theory. <laughs> okay. Hey, let's, let's take it where the conversation goes. That's, uh, so a scientific theory, that word theory, I think has been completely abused by our everyday, our everyday speak, right? We, we, when we say theory, it's just any idea I have in my head is my theory about X, Y, Z. Right, and that is not how science uses the word theory. Right, a theory in science, so things start as a hypothesis, and I think what we call in our everyday lives as theories are just that hypotheses. Right, and for a hypothesis to become a theory, it has to be proven. It has to show. It has to. It has to predict something, and that prediction is then carried out and verified by other scientists, is peer reviewed, etc. And there's a lot of work that goes into making something a scientific theory. Right, gravity is still a theory. Uh, you know, the Pythagorean theorem is a theory, and these are sure. things that are proven. They predict. They are things we use in our everyday life, and we would never go out and question whether or not I'm going to fall if I step off a building, even though gravity is just a theory. Right. So this idea that evolution is just a theory, I you know that kind of well, but grinds the, my gears a bit. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> Love that phrase. It's, it's <laughs> but to push back on you, gravity is reproducible. Absolutely. I could throw something, and every single time, it'll, it'll hit the ground. Gravity. Right. It, it works. We know that. Is evolution reproducible? Yes. So I would, I would say yes. Do, do explain. There are stronger theories than others. Okay. I'll give you that. Right? There are definitely – there's gravity, and then there's right, the Big Bang okay. Theory. Yeah. Right? These are <laughs> one yeah. we can make happen. One is a little more far-fetched. Uh, but yes, there's actually an experiment. I don't know if you or if any of you are familiar with this, but there's an experiment going on in Stanford with E. coli, right? It's been happening for a little over 20 years now, where, you know, the problem with reproducing evolution is that evolution happens over successive generations, right? In some cases, thousands of generations, and that's not something we're going to see in our everyday life, right? I mean, we get to see one generation, and that's it. So, no, you're not going to see a human turn into something else in our lifetime. That's just not going to happen. However, when you take it down to a smaller scale like E. coli, right, where the uh, generations for an E. coli is about a day, okay. right, and they, they did a study in a laboratory where they, sat, they had some and they set them in different environments, and they watched how these things sort of adapted to their new environments and so forth. And the idea was we can only say it evolved once we can call this a new species, right? Once we can say something has adapted to its environment enough times that it's completely incompatible with its original, uh, uh, well, you know what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, its original makeup. <laughs> its yeah. original makeup, right? And they found this over and over, right? This has been shown um, in this laboratory. They found this, you know, and they, they've set aside now new species of of e. coli, e. coli that will die when put in the same environment as the original ones. They will not reproduce with the original ones. They are completely incongruent. Now, the percentage chances of it happening, right, the probability of this happening are very low. So they've done this with millions and millions of sales, and, you know, they see a small percentage that turn but, to this and turn to that. But let me, wh- and let that's me, predicted by, you know, specifically evolutionary theory, which well, says... Let me push back on that okay. a little bit. Isn't that simply adaptation? Adaptation, but once we go into a new species, 
that's what evolutionary theory is all about, right? The fact that we adapt enough to the point where we are just an entirely different species from our original makeup, okay. right? So if we, if ourselves and other apes and so forth came from the same, uh, uh, you know, evolutionary grandfather, if you, if you say, <laughs> um, we came from the same species at some point, yes, we adapted enough, you know, yeah. to our environments and to whatever we needed to adapt to, to the point where we are now completely different species with different strengths that allow us to succeed in the, in the universe, in the world, right? So, you know, apes are strong, so they succeed. We're smart, so we succeed, et cetera. But we, we, I mean, that's all evolutionary theory is. We adapt enough to the point where we are a new species. Okay. Right? Very, very interesting. I, I guess one of the questions um, that kind of comes up from that is, you know, I don't know this experiment, so I, I can't speak to it right, right. necessarily. But it sort of seems to me like the experiments that have been done, um, one A, would take a very long time to produce human intelligence and life. The fact that we're conscious of ourselves is, is incredible. And two, a variation of the species, all the different kinds of species out there. Three, um, it seems like some of the experiments that are done are sort of, they pop in the variables for the per, for the outcome, you know, and there was like a Cambridge study. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this one, where they popped in four laws, or, or three laws. Yes, with those dots. Yeah, the dot matrices and stuff like yeah. that. And and I, I know they came out and said, you know what? Look, it's it's true. Evolution is true. We we popped in these laws, and all of a sudden there's this infinite amount of space, and all these dots lit up, and and it's true. There there were a huge species over billions of years that have popped up. But my problem with that is where did the laws come from? You know, like if you keep taking this back, if you right. keep asking these questions, okay, great, where did these cells come from? Where did all this stuff come from? To me, it points back to an intelligence. Because, okay. you know, one of the things you even said is that gravity um, helped form the universe all the way back 14 billion years ago. Where did gravity come from? Gravity's not nothing. Gravity's something. Right. Agreed. So... So where did that come from? And that, that's where I would say I don't know, right? This okay. is something that, you know, gravity, I believe, to be innate in just mass and material, right, and energy. It's, uh, it's innate in the system. Mm-hmm. Where it came from, how it exists, I don't know. But I would also take it back and say, for me, God doesn't explain that, right? Because now I'm going to say, well, it had to have a creator. That creator must be this higher intelligence, which in our case is real called the Christian God. So who created the Christian God then? Yeah. Right. And but we're, we're willing to throw that logic aside now and say, well, OK, God always existed. God didn't need a creator, et cetera. OK, well, why can't we say that now for the material that created the universe? Why can't we say that for the laws? Why? Why? Why is one allowed to not have a creator, but the other is? So what you're saying is there, there is transcendence. <laughs> not necessarily. I just I just don't think we are answering the question. Wouldn't gravity be? <laughs> Sorry, you just. You I just... guess the laws that are innate in the system, sure, sure. Uh, but if, but I, I just don't feel I've, at some point, somewhere at some point, something existed without a creator. Well, but why does it Whether have it's... to be without a creator? Can, doesn't a law, uh, logically, wouldn't any law say that there was a lawgiver? I don't agree with that. I don't. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. And, so and, I'll ask you. I'll ask you that same question I asked you in my office. I, in order to get the first Ford, do you need the law of internal combustion, or do you need Henry Ford? You you clearly needed Henry Ford, and Henry Ford came from something else, and so forth. But, <laughs> so my, but my point. But but my idea. But uh, yeah, 
Uh, the car doesn't exist without someone who created the so car. So it only works in our environment, but not in the universe. But then, let's turn that around then. Same thing with the question of God. Okay. Why, why is God given the, the... Why is he forgiven of this need for a creator? For, so why doesn't he need to be created? Exactly. Why, 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 are we, why do we force everything and in, in, everything in the universe has to have been created at some point? God doesn't answer that for me. Right, yeah. because then I ask the exact same question. Well, if everything in the universe, everything that existed, must have been created, therefore God must have been created. Mm, I see what you're saying. The logic doesn't apply to God. It exactly. applies to everything but God. Exactly. Well, and that's where I would say God is the only source of transcendence. That, that God is, there has to be a beginning point. Nature tells us there's beginning points and ending points. There has to be a beginning point. I look at us and the fact that we're intelligently having a conversation and say that we're derived from intelligence, but there's more to that. There's not just that little bit of logic, right, right, right. but that we're derived from some sort of intelligence and that I look back and say, you know, there, that must mean there's an intelligent source of the universe. Um, I watched some Neil deGrasse Tyson. You told me I should watch Neil deGrasse Tyson. And, um, and anyways, he, it was funny. He called it, instead of intelligent design, he calls it stupid design. You're probably familiar with that. Um, I thought that was kind of silly, but um, <laughs> but he's a renowned scientist, and I'm just a political scientist. So, <laughs> what am I to say? What well, let's let's keep moving on. How did we get? To, and then we got to take a break in a minute here. How did we get to the point where we're intelligent? I think there's a there's a level of intelligence in all living species, right? I mean, you know, if we put it on a scale, I guess we can call it the IQ scale, right? There's sure. this level of intelligence. For every living being. Yeah, dogs can do right? tricks. Yeah. Exactly. And we just happen to be the most intelligent of the species, right, on, on planet Earth. Okay. I, I would say intelligence is just, once again, a matter of this simplicity becoming complexity, right? It's the idea that, you know, at some point we're going to do things for our better good, right? And that what grows from that is, you know, a better understanding of what works and what doesn't of, you know, you know intelligence started for me with just... In my mind, it started with just, you know, out of fear, basically, of dying. You know, the idea that we want to live. You know, okay. I went here. This was a bad place. I saw this animal. This animal tried to kill me. And so we learn from those experiences, and it just continues from there. I think we look at our intelligence now, and we question how it could come to be. But at, at some point, we didn't have this intelligence, right? This sort of grew. Um, you know, it grows every day, really. But now, it sort of grew just on, you know, evolutionarily. In the theory, is that reproducible? Is that scientifically verifiable and reproducible? I would say yes, but not on a scale that we can see today. So yes, but we can't actually do it? I, I, think, I, think, it's, I think it's one of those things that's not impossible to reproduce. Okay. It's just something we're not going to be able to do today in our, life, in our lifespan. Okay. Right? I mean, that's, see, part, that's one of the problems with evolution. And yeah. I would say that's really one of the biggest issues with evolution. We're talking about something that happens over you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of years. And we're saying, okay, well, I don't see it happening today, therefore it doesn't exist. See, I see you as having probably more faith than me. And you have just as much, if not more, than me because you you have faith that this random unguided process created this intelligent being, or not created, but produced an intelligent being. And I say, no, you were made by God, given intelligence, because you are also an image bearer of God, and so you have this intelligence because of an intelligent being at the center of the universe that, that created this. And, and so, so that's my system of faith, and I see this theory that you're talking about as being just as much faith. I, I, 
would wholeheartedly disagree there. I think okay. I think there is mounds of evidence for evolution. Okay. Right. I do think at certain points we have to jump and we put models in place that haven't necessarily been proven yeah. to try to make things fit. But I wouldn't say that you know this is just a completely faith-based idea, right? I mean, right. we have you know we have successions of humans, you know, iterations of humans, you know, that we can find. We we have parts of our body that no longer have any function, right? We have a tailbone. We have these different things that need to be explained, and I think that's where Dill deGrasse Tyson comes in and says a stupid design, right? I mean, right. You know, we, we have, there are things, if I was perfectly designed, there are things that shouldn't be here, <laughs> right? Things that don't make sense. Males have nipples, right? It's, <laughs> it's, you know, they make sense when you think of it on an evolutionary time frame. They do not make sense when you say someone modeled us and created us the way we are, then there's a lot of questions, okay, this... Then why would you do this that? particular thing? Makes sense. And that's where I think the whole stupid design okay. joke so, comes from. So as Christians, well. we need to come up with explanations for, for, not come up, but we need to say some more explanations on what it is right. I, about I, why these things happen. I think, I think yeah, I, th- I just think it, it's not necessarily faith that I accept evolution, right? I, I, I'm accepting it as a scientific theory because there's evidence that okay. shows its, its yeah. validity, right? Is it the end-all, be-all Theory that's going to answer everything, maybe not. Theories change. Theories have been proven wrong, right? That's why mm-hmm. it's not a postulate. It's not a fact. It's a theorem still. Sure. It can be proven wrong at some point. I'm open to that idea. But I think right now it best describes the nature of the universe or the nature of life on Earth, I should say. And to me, everything else is really not evidence-based. It's really just... Mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up that one system. question um, that Darwin had of himself, and I was trying to find the quote... Uh, that he essentially says the nagging doubt is about if we had intelligence adapted from a species uh, or from apes, then... uh, Oh, yes, it says, Within me, the horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of man's mind, which have been developed from the mind of lower animals, are of any value or trustworthy at all. Would anyone trust the convictions of a monkey's mind if there were any any convictions in such a mind? So how can we even trust our own knowledge? Can we just be wrong? We absolutely could be. I, I think in every, in, you know, I mean, how do we know we're not just all part of a big dream? <laughs> I think, therefore, I am. In the largest person's mind. Rene I mean, Descartes getting, figured that one exactly, out. Exactly, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, right. I, I, I think, you know, the fact that we are able to predict certain, you know, we're able to do the research to find a prediction to make, you know, and serve out this prediction, make it happen. It just stands alone, you know, on its own. So we, we, it's sort of, it is sort of self-feeding, you know, prophecy here. Well, you know, I, I've created something, I make it work, therefore, you know, I can yeah. trust the fact that my mind is capable of doing this, yeah. right? I, I do think we as humans put too much value in our intelligence and question why, you know, because we're intelligent, there must be something special about humans over other animals. And to a certain extent, yes, that's the case, but Sorry, keep guys. in mind... You're not special. <laughs> but keep in mind, every other animal has some attribute that they excel in, which makes them successful as well, right? There are other animals who are strong, and that's the reason they succeed as a, as a species, right? There are other ones that are 
you know, we could go for days on the different attributes that make them, and humans just happen to have more intelligence than, more other, than other animals. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes us successful as a species. Okay. Right? But the fact that we are intelligent, the fact that someone else is, you know, another species is stronger, the fact that another one can jump higher, run faster, et cetera, right? These are all attributes that should not necessarily just be, you know, thrown, thrown to the wayside because we say, well, we're intelligent, therefore there must be something more to us than these other animals. Well, not necessarily. Right, I think the idea that we're special is nice, <laughs> but I think that that's but. one of those things that could be proven. That yeah, there is something special. I mean, Aristotle said man is by nature a, a political animal. In other words, a polis inhabiting creature, somebody who lives in community because it's the most rational thing to do because we need each other. Right. And um, while there are little communities of hyenas that attack other animals together, little communities of other animals, um, that's something special about us that we're rational. We build systems. Um, I mean, sure, there's other animals that do the same thing, like schools of fish, but we, we build these very intricate systems of life together, um, and it kind of shows this whole rationale behind us. All right, I've got to pause this for a second okay, because we've got to, we've got to, um, this is church. We take <laughs> offerings in church, and not just because <laughs> we want people's money, but we actually do believe that it is a God-ordained thing to be generous with what we have, and we believe that God has given us what it is that we have and, and that we ought to give back to that, and, and Pastor Earl is going to come. He's got a microphone. We're just going to take a quick breather, give you guys a mind ease, and then we're going to talk some other questions. The, the principal prayer with the prayer for the offering. So when we're finished with this offering, we'll ask the ushers, to, uh, this prayer, we'll ask the ushers to come. As we think about this particular week, um, I would remind you to continue to pray for Myrtle. Uh, she continues with us. That one's not working, huh? Oh, oh right. You are good. Close enough. Oh, okay. Well, anyhow. So here we are. Um, my father would say that if I need a microphone, I'm a wimp. Uh, but anyhow... Um, we all want to remember Myrtle. Uh, she continues on, and we want to be praying for her. Uh, Bill Jenkins, we're expecting him to come home tomorrow, and we're glad that Orpha's here. Um, we've been missing Orpha, and we're glad that she's here this morning. Uh, and then we'll be continue to pray for her and for Bill and the family. Uh, we our principal concern right now is for Bill, but as you know, if you've been a caretaker, those who are taking care of them also are in need of prayer because of the stress and the uh, energy that it takes to do that. And then the stepping stones, um, the um, uh, Alicia uh, has five children. She passed away, and she worked with them, and we want to remember her. And then another person that some of you will know uh, she came. She came to our office often for certain services. Angelina. The thing I would say about Angelina is, every time I saw her, she was upbeat, and she had every right not to be. And she was always positive and always upbeat. Well, she passed away this week as well, so we want to remember her family as well this week. However, aren't you thankful for air conditioning? You know, we need to think about the blessings that we have and uh, what we have been provided. Uh, God has been good to us in those areas. Will you stand with me for prayer? Father, this morning as we come before your throne of grace, 
uh, we think about the blessings that we enjoy. And we want to thank you for those things that we are able to enjoy on this day. So I ask that you'll be with us and that you will help us to see the positives in the world around us. This morning as we pray, we do remember Myrtle. We ask that you'll continue to be with her. We think about Bill Jenkins. We ask that you'll continue to be with him, that you will continue his recovery, that uh, it won't be that long until he's able to rejoin us. We do ask for Alicia this morning and her children, uh, for her family and her children this morning, and we think of Angelina as well. These are people that are important to others, and those others are having to adjust to the fact that they're not there. We also this morning think about our president. We ask that you'll be with him, with our Congress and our courts. We ask for protection for them and wisdom. And then, Father, we're thankful for the resources that you provide us individually. And as we give a portion of that back, we ask that you'll bless us and bless this, these funds that they will be well used. Be with those who have that responsibility. For those things, we will give you the praise. Amen. You may be seated. As we're about finishing up here with the, the uh, offering, uh, we'll just jump right into a couple more questions. I wanted to ask you, Kenny, what is bothersome with the way that Christians kind of approach this issue? Because we saw the video. We know that the world has an issue with the church. I mean, we, we kind of scream like, ah, oh, evolution in schools, ah, oh, this is bad stuff. Uh, we need intelligent design. What, what is, what's wrong? I think part of, part of my problem and what, going back to what kind of brought me out of Christianity in the first place is this idea that I have to deny things that make sense, right? So there's this idea of being the skeptic and being skeptical of certain things like evolution, being skeptical of global warming, et cetera. But then you have an entire population of, you know, mainly Christians who just will flat out deny it because it doesn't fit in their worldview. It doesn't fit what the Bible has planned out for the world as far as they're concerned. And so any, regardless of how much evidence piles up, you know, especially for something like you know, uh, climate change, regardless of the evidence that piles up, regardless of, of you know, um, the scientific community coming to a consensus on this and so forth, we can just still say no, 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 because the Bible wouldn't allow this etc. Right. And while I definitely think we should all be skeptics. Right. And, you know, as a scientist myself, I'm skeptical of everything I'm told, everything I hear when it turns into just flat out denial. Right. It's no longer skepticism anymore. It's just flat out denial because I have a belief in something else. Right. And so now I'm willing to throw away any scientific evidence based on my belief. And that's where I think, you know, um, that's where I go crazy, I would say. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and I, and I think that really speaks to the Bible verse I shared earlier. It's always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Um, and 
you know, as Christians, we need to be prepared for that. We need to be ready for that. And as the world is getting um, more and more engulfed in, in different theories and, and um, as we get more educated as a people, I should, I guess, uh, I guess that's debatable if you look at history, whether or not we are more educated. But um, the, the, the idea of as these theories become more mainstream and as the Christian worldview begins to dwindle and we need to really ask ourselves some tough questions, we no longer have the authority to say, don't doubt that, don't question that. And I think that's a lot of ways that the church operated was just don't do it. And the pastor had a lot of authority. In fact, in a lot of places in the late 1800s, early 1900s, the the pastor's sermon would be published in the local newspaper. You know, I mean, it just showed the authority that the church had. Right. And now we no longer have that. And so now we really need to ask ourselves these questions. How is it that we are going to explain our worldview to a world that doesn't agree, uh, that, that thinks that we're crazy for, for doing so? Yeah, and, and I would say, you know, um, I think part of it, too, is just the idea that we can be wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And I think any... Yeah. Scientists has to admit the fact that everything I believe, everything, you know, everything I believe, everything I, you know, have worked on, there's a possibility it's all wrong, throw it out the window, something new has replaced it, and we have to be open to it. It's hard to hear, right? I mean, even Einstein fell, you know, um, he, he, that was the reason he sort of fell out of the scientific mainstream at some point, right? You know, he came up, he, he you know, he thought of relativity, it was really, really, really great work, it was proven, it was... You know, Perfy was one of the most renowned scientists still today. But when quantum came to be, right, his religious views held him back. He now said, well, I, you know, his famous quote, I can't believe God would choose to play dice with the universe. And because of that, he refused to believe in quantum. I, I can't, no, quantum doesn't make sense. This is wrong. All of you scientists are wrong. And he fought that for years. And, you know, in his last few years of life, he said that was one of the biggest mistakes he's ever made. But was it- denying this particular brand of science because of his religious beliefs. And that's where I think, you know, it's this idea we have to admit that everything we think, everything we believe could be wrong. And I think that also has to apply to, you know, our interpretations of religious texts, right? In this case, the Bible, yes, I believe the Bible says X, Y, Z, but, you know, when something comes that says, no, this might be wrong, if we're not open to that, then I can't listen to anything else you have to say. You've completely lost your credibility now. Sure, okay. Right? And so that's that's kind of my idea of why... A lot of the church has kind of put them, has taken themselves out of well. Since this we're since role. we're here, let me ask this question, then we'll move on. You've got a couple of questions for me, and the the question one of the questions that was texted in was this: um, Is there anything in life um, you accept on faith, and why? <laughs> I um, I guess I would say yes, but I I I, I believe. I believe that there are things I believe because of evidence, but it has not necessarily been proven. And I would say that those are somewhat accepted on faith, but it's not without evidence, right? It's, uh, you know, I believe my wife loves me. I can't scientifically prove this. There's nothing I can do in a laboratory that will show her levels, whatever, (laughs) (laughs) that will show, you know, her level of love for me on, on a computer screen or something, but... There are things she has done that, you know, has given me evidence to believe it. Okay. And so even though it's not proven, I would say I'm sort of accepting it on faith. But I, I, I don't think there's anything that's incongruent with natural law, that's incongruent with, with what you would normally see day to day that I just take blindly and say, okay, 
You know, you, you know if, if I like to throw back, you know, so the Bible says a man walked on water. I do not take that on faith, right? There's okay. no evidence whatsoever besides this text, you know, that says a person walked on water. Show me that it's at all possible that somebody could do this, and then maybe I will start to give it some credence. But until then, I can't do it because there's just no evidence whatsoever. And so I, I, I guess there's a question of the meaning of faith, right, is is – is faith belief in something with absolutely no evidence? And if that's, that's the meaning, I'm, that's the interpretation I'm using. And if that's the case, then I'm going to say that I don't have faith. I just believe in things with maybe incomplete evidence. Faith, fitas, the, the original word actually, you know, denoted some evidence in, okay. in, in that word. Um, it's, a, it's a Latin root, fitas. It, it talks a, a little bit about rationale and evidence. And those are some of the correlating words in the Latin. Um, and I don't speak Latin. I've had to look that up. <laughs> but Einstein also said that we, everybody, has to go on this faith of the rational intelligibility of the universe. Everybody. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're a scientist, an evolutionist, the idea that we believe that we could look to the stars and gain knowledge. I would say that that's evidence-based. I mean, that's what we have done. Yeah, because we look to the stars and see. I would, yeah, but I wouldn't say that that was, I, I guess, I mean, when I, when I think of the word faith, right, I think of that scripture, you know, faith is evidence of things not seen. What, I forget how yeah, it goes. Um, but I, my idea of it is I have to take, I have to believe something without any proof, without any evidence of it. Now, and, that's my idea, and that's what I push back against, right? Now, if you're saying that all faith is based on some, evidence, then okay, I would say so, but then I would also say that there are things in the Bible that do not have evidence. So right? why I think is, we have to accept that fact. Well, well, we'll talk about that in just a second. <laughs> why is that evidence okay, but the evidence of my changed life not okay? What do you mean by So, I mean, okay. the rational intelligence of the university, we could look, we could see stars, we could derive math equations for orbits and, and all kinds of things, but why is that evidence okay? You said there's, there's evidence for the rational intelligibility of the universe, which I'd absolutely agree with you. Yep. And I would say some of the evidence for God is, A, the church, that we've existed 2,000 years, that something did happen, the resurrection of Jesus. And I think there's good evidence for that. Um, but why is my story, is it because it's subjective? I would say it's largely because it's subjective. Okay. Because I, mean, I could... I could ask someone who's a devout Muslim the mm-hmm. same story, and they're going to, you know, who had a changed life, who wholeheartedly believes and believes they have seen things and experienced things that gives them proof in their mind that Allah exists, and that's what they, you know, that's where they go. And you could say the same with any other religion, right? So I would say it's very largely subject- subjective, right? Everybody I go who has a changed story has some belief as to how that story came to be. Right. And I think a lot of it is based on what we want to believe as well. Right. Okay. It's either, you know, a lot of it is what we grew up believing, but a lot of it is just what we want to believe. We like to, we like the idea that there's somebody there, you know, looking after my best interests, looking after, you know, guiding, guiding my life and making sure I'm on the right path and so forth. And so we attribute everything that happens positive in our life to that. But in everybody's experience, it's attributed to whoever they believe in. Right. And so because of that, that that's why it kind of lost its credibility there. You know, I think it's way too largely subjective. Okay. All right. Well, what, you know, the, the last question I have, and then we'll kind of talk about some of your questions, and then there's one more audience text a question. Um, and the, the last question I have is, are we all delusional for praying? <laughs> I mean, Pastor Elkin, we prayed for people in, in our church 
um, our, you know, we believe that prayer makes a difference because largely we believe that there's more to nature, that there is a super nature. Okay. And so we believe that God can infuse a new event into the system and do something about it. So are we delusional for praying? Yes. Um, I'm so- <laughs> sorry. You guys should all just go home. You're delusional. <laughs> so my, I, so first of all, yes, I don't, I don't believe that when you pray, you're actually, there's some, you know, supernatural being there listening. But I would say even just looking at it from an evidence standpoint, right, when we pray, sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no. Right? Good things happen, bad, time, bad things happen. When you don't pray, good things happen, bad things happen. Right? And so where is the evidence that says, well, when you pray, you're more likely that good things are going to happen. It's more likely that good things are going to happen versus bad things happening. Right? There's, I mean, I don't know if there's been studies of that nature, but the fact that prayer doesn't necessarily give you any particular outcome, right, it, it kind of takes away some of the credence for prayer. And I would also push back, I mean, how do we know the answers to our prayer are not just our own subconscious, you know, or what we want to hear. You know, I've heard too many people say that they heard God tell them to run for president, right? Um, <laughs> you know, either he's a big practical joker. And they didn't win. Or, yeah. yeah. Either he's a big practical joker. And God's or these just are laughing, people, maybe. It's like, ha ha. Or these are people who, yeah. in their own subconscious, they wanted to run for president. They thought they had everything they needed to run for president. They legitimately thought they could win. And because of that, they felt it was God mm-hmm. telling them to run for president when I would say that eh, it sounds like it really wasn't, right? So how do you determine your own subconscious from, from you know, an answer from God? And mm-hmm. I would also even push back, you know, hopefully I don't offend anybody here, but how do you know you're not just, just a schizophrenic if you actually hear God speaking to you, right? If I, yeah. if that would be one of my biggest things. If I, you know, I always joke all the time when people ask me, what do you pray? I'm like, well, you know, honestly, if I heard the answer... <laughs> <laughs> I'm checking myself in, right? I mean, this is, how do I know, you know, schizophrenics literally think they're talking to somebody. They're standing there having a conversation with somebody. You know, how do I know it's not one of those cases? You know, and it's too easy to just say, well, this is God talking to me, right? And so I would say, I don't want to say delusional. <laughs> I think that word carries a lot of connotation, but I do think that a lot of times we are, we're fooled into thinking that it's something greater than us speaking to us when a lot of times it's just us. See, and I think the way you looked at prayer is a very non-Christian way to look at prayer. And, you know, I, I understand it, but it's not necessarily what the Bible teaches. And a lot of times we look at prayer and think, oh, you know, what can I get for me? And really, one of the ways that we ought to be going to God is saying, God, what can I do for the kingdom? And, um, you know, I think, you know, when we ask, what is your will, not my will? And a lot of times, you know, if we, if we take the rubric of science-based evidence and what evidence is accepted and what evidence is not and place it to prayer, I think it's going to be completely random every time because God doesn't necessarily work on our own rubrics of, of what truth is. He is truth. And we've developed a notion of what truth is, which means evidence. There's got to be evidence. But I think truth is not necessarily the evidence that we might see, but there is a truth giver. There is there's actual truth in a person, and that is God. And and I I know that that's like a that's a whole other discussion. And, like a cop out. And it is it, it does sound like a cop out unless I could 
really develop that a little bit okay. more. But um, we've got five minutes before our service normally ends, but we've got some more questions. So we're going to ask you to bear with us a couple of minutes. I promise we'll get out of here before noon. I, go ahead, fire away. <laughs> fire away. No, you, you had a couple, oh, oh, couple oh, okay. things. Um, so one thing I wanted to push back on, you know, over your sermon from last or your lecture from last week, uh, about the four letters in the sand. Okay. Right. I wanted to push back on this. Right. So there was this idea that yes, I, I'm on this desert island. I, you know, been here for years, whatever the case. And I wake up one morning, and there's the four, first four letters of my name mm-hmm. written in the sand. Right. And to believe that, you know, to believe that it wasn't someone who put it there. That if this just happened scientifically in some way, I can describe it scientifically how it occurred. Sounds silly. Yeah. Right. And so but I think that argument is sort of this this straw man that's put up against science to make science look silly for believing that order can come from disorder. Right. And so one thing I like to just push back on that and say, well, you know, the true analogy in this case is that there have been billions of letters written all over the sand over and over and over. I wake up, I see letters every day. And then this one chance I happen to see my name or the first few letters of my name, and suddenly I'm trying to draw meaning from this, as opposed to just saying it's just part of the random process, right? I throw dice a billion times, there's a very good chance that at some point I'm going to get the same thing ten times in a row, which is extremely unlikely to happen, but when you do it a billion times, that likeliness is now greatly improved because of the nature of probability. And so I think this, you know, you're setting up a straw man here when you say, uh, it's silly to think that I look at order, how can this be random? Well, when it's been tried, who knows how many times it can be, right? But you're missing the point. The yeah. point is that there are letters. Whether there's billions of letters <laughs> or whether there's three or four letters, the point is that there are letters. Okay. And letters denote meaning. And so how is it that these letters showed up in a certain way to denote meaning? And there must be a source of intelligence to denote that meaning. And then the point is the Human Genome Project, the 4.2 billion uh, coded letters in a you know chemical coded sequence that are folded on top of each other to work just just right. Correct. To me, it's we are containers of text. We are containers of meaning. Um, that that to say that that arrived simply through an evolutionary process is is crazy to me. In fact, there's been studies done, and I, I the the monkey on the the yeah, uh, typewriter yeah hundred monkeys typing and and then they double that number every day, but they do this computer based to say how long would it take to write the 23rd Psalm, which is like a, a, a 10 line or 12 line um, uh, Hebrew poetry. And it was something like 10 to the one, uh, 10 to the thousandth and 24th power, which is longer than the 14 billion years of, um, of creation. Um, to, to show like how, if, the, if you could actually like create a sequence of letters that, that denote meaning. My point is there are sequence of letters that do denote meaning within us and that those letters existed in the first place. I don't think that's a straw man. I think that what we're saying here is, is look, there's something here that denotes meaning. Like, why do we look at crop circles and say, oh, there must be something intelligent there? When really it's a guy with a stick and, and you know, pushing down crops. <laughs> right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay, but, but I, I guess I would push back once again. That goes back to the, right, so if the letters had to have a creator, then once again, why do we say that they needed a creator when... I'm saying, saying the letters the point to intelligence. Right, right, right. But what, and what I'm saying is it doesn't have to, right? I, I just, I, you know, I, I think it may be hard to believe because we're not seeing something happening a billion times. Yeah. But, I, you know, it's one of those, if I 
kept throwing out, if I just had these letters and I keep throwing them out there, throwing them out there, throwing them out there, billions and billions and billions of times over, eventually I might see my name. And if I now take that and draw meaning from it, I think that's, you know, I, I can't say, okay, well, this had to have order. There's no way this could have happened without somebody making it happen. And I throw back and I say, yes, right? This probabilistic argument of, you know, whatever the numbers were, 10 to the 24th, right on that order, for this to happen, don't forget, we now have to multiply that times every, not just the time span, but every combination of it possibly happening within that time span, right? So if there are, you know, there's something, I think they estimate a, a 10 to the 100th particles mm -hmm. in the universe, well, now we need to multiply this, this sure. probability out by this, and now it becomes a lot more realistic that it could have happened. You know, at one, you, the miracle discussion needs to happen and we probably need to that the problem is we don't have time for it and we probably should have spent a little more time on that um but maybe at one point we could have this conversation again with miracles down the road at another point but i do have some more audience questions do you oh wait, i think this one might be for me do you think that it's possible that god facilitated evolution now my response to that is is it depends what you mean by evolution uh natural selection Yes, natural selection is this idea, and if you read the origin of the species, origin of the species does not say um, how we came to be. It says why we are the way we are right now, right? I mean, that's my... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's, yeah okay. so if you read the origin of the species and you, you read his crazy idea of rock pigeons, I mean, he spends like hours on rock pigeons. He's really if, obsessed with pigeons. He really is obsessed with <laughs> pigeons. The guy's weird. He's a freak. Um, but if, if you read that, one of the things you understand is that, um, is that people, uh, things change in the environment. So I don't talk about nat natural selection. Yes, um, I believe God can facilitate that. Do I believe that God can facilitate evolution? Uh, you know, I I, I believe God, I don't want to limit God in one sense. You know, it'd be bad theologically for me to say no, because then I would say, well, I've limited God in what God can do. But I think that it's more likely that God took the dust of the earth. I mean, and I know this is going to demand some evidence, which this will have to be a different discussion. But I think it's more likely, in my opinion, that God could take the dust of the earth and create a human being out of, out of dust and breath of life than we've evolved into being this race and kind of people that can have intelligence um, randomly by chance and that have no purpose. Okay. And I mean, that we're essentially the entire world is purposeless. I, I think that there's more reason to say that we are a purposeful people than there isn't. That's one of the things I think. Okay. I guess my answer to that would be I will never say that anything is impossible. Okay. Right. Um, is there a possibility that some supernatural being, right, in our case, God here, facilitated evolution and so forth? Absolutely. It's def I would definitely put it out there as a possibility. I would say that there's no evidence to believe it. So I would, I, you know, without that evidence, I'm not going to believe that that's the case. But is it possible? Sure. But I also think Genesis specifically says that did not happen. So if there is a supernatural. Yeah. Um, guidance for evolution, then it would not be the Christian God as, as you know, displayed in the Bible, right? I mean, yeah. the idea that he took sand and made, made man, yeah. took the rib, made the woman, that's not I, evolution. Yeah, I, I do think evolutionary biology, uh, not, not the whole of evolutionary biology, but I think evolution as saying, getting your worldview of humans came from 
a guided unrandom process versus the Christian perspective. I think those are fundamental polar opposites. Yeah. I, I would say that. Now, um, we, we got to talk for one last thing. And this is, again, a huge can of worms, huge can of worms. Um, but we won't get too far into it because we've got to wrap this up. Do you believe religion, religion, generally speaking, has a net positive or net negative effect on humanity? And I, I'd like us to both be able to answer that question, so go ahead. Oh, that's a tough one. I, I would say a net positive, I think, giving humans... Hope giving humans a reason to believe, you know, in a lot of cases, just pure crowd control, right? Even if it's delusional. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, you know, uh, crowd control. For there is a, I mean, there's a huge part of the population that specifically don't do crime, specifically won't murder, et cetera, because they believe. You're welcome. In this, uh, (laughs) in this, uh, But I don't believe I, I, I do I, I think that's a fallacy on humans' part that we need that, okay. right? I mean, I as an atheist still have no interest in raping, killing, etc. Right? I'm able to draw some moral code for myself without this fear of hell in the in the end, right? So I don't think it's necessarily needed, um, but there are obviously parts of the population that do. Now there are also I think a lot of negative impacts, you know, because of religion. I think it's held us back scientifically in a lot of different, you know, uh, 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 there's a lot of different experiences there that we could talk about. Uh, um, I do believe it's, you know, just, you guys had the uh, homosexual debate or discussion two weeks ago. I think, you know, religion has played a very long, very large role in, you know, in, um, in keeping certain groups of people, what's the word, what I'm trying to say here? Uh, 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 Don't worry about ostracized from ostracized. the community, keeping them, you know, making making sure that we have these minorities that need to be oppressed in every sense, you know. And throughout history, you know, which group has been oppressed has been changed, you know, whether it was based on race, whether it was based on, you know, there was a time when they thought all left-handed people needed to be killed, right? And this was based on religion. So no, there have been a that lot was true. Of, yeah, yeah. Sorry, lefties. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I joke because my wife is lefty. <laughs> I say, well, you know, if we go to church. Uh, <laughs> well, you're here, and nobody pointed it out. No, let me let's let's you know. John Lennon said, "Imagine a world with no God above us, no heaven above us, no hell beneath us. Imagine all the people living just for today." Um, you know, he imagined this world. He painted this picture of imagine a world without uh, religion, um, and how great it would be. But I'd like you to imagine a world for a minute without atheism. And how great that might be about without <laughs> Stalin, who killed maybe 20 million people, okay. without Pol Pot, which was actually an atheistic deal there, without, and I would argue Adolf Hitler, um, not, definitely not a Christian. Uh, if anything, if there was any religious inclination, it would be the cultic Northern um, Ireland pagan beliefs um, or Nordic beliefs pagan Nordic beliefs, not Christian beliefs. Um, whenever you take a, um, an altar to church and replace the Bible with Mein Kampf, I would say you are not a Christian, um, and replace crosses with swastikas, which he did in the German church, I would say you're not a Christian. But I would say... Um, but definitely not an atheist. Well, maybe not. I want to push back against that. He may, was, maybe not I, I would atheist. I wouldn't say he was a Christian, you know, mm-hmm. as far as... You know, as, as far as how we define Christian today, I wouldn't say he was a Christian, but he definitely believed in a higher power. 
And so I think he I believed in that higher power was himself. But I would also push back and say, you know, I mean, we could throw out bad atheists all day. We could throw out bad Christians. We could throw out bad yeah. for any culture, right? Um, but I think there's an argument also, was it because he was an atheist that drove him to do what he did, right? Because we can talk about, you know, the guy that blew up the uh, Oklahoma, what's his name? Uh, Timothy McVeigh. Right, who was specifically driven by his religious and his political beliefs and mm-hmm. so forth. And it was because of that belief that he felt he needed to do what he had to do, yeah. right? The Crusades were driven by what my religious beliefs were. Whereas, I mean, we could, you know, Stalin... Definitely, uh, again, you know, we can talk, about, atheist, his, we can talk but, about history all day because but I, it wasn't, I disagree yeah. with you on a couple but, of But it points. wasn't like he was sitting yeah. there reading an atheist Bible saying, okay, uh-huh. I need to go kill these 20 people because <laughs> my no God tells me to do this, right? <laughs> my no and, God. <laughs> so, I mean, d- you know. God didn't tell me not to. If we're gonna... <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm joking. With <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I want to be very careful about picking out bad parts okay. of any group and saying this represents the group. Well, and see, my point and there is sin. My, my point there is, yes, there have been bad Christians. There have been delusional Christians who have blown things up. There's, I mean, look at the guy, uh, whenever you stockpile weapons, and I'd go back to this idea of faith. What is their faith? I would say they have a blind faith. Blind faith stockpiles weapons and shoots at, at FBI agents. Blind faith takes airplanes and puts them into the Twin Towers. But faith based on evidence that Jesus is God it does a little bit different, and to me, it shows up in people's transformed lives. There's the evidence right there. I've got, I've got all this evidence right here, and there's more people that are on vacation, but evidence. <laughs> and I will uh, definitely say, you know, one of, my, one of the things I like to talk about all the time, there are people that I feel make Christians look extremely good. Yep. You know, and I truly appreciate it, and I, you know, post these things on Facebook all the time. Like, yeah. you know, they restore my faith in Christianity yeah. when, I, when I meet and talk, converse with some people. And then there are other people that, okay, yep. you know, this is, you're the reason. Well, and this is, by the way, this is how the discussion started. So. Kenny posted something on Facebook. This is actually how the series started. I want to tell, get, get this right. He posted something on faith, Facebook that I was like, come on, man. And, and I pushed back on, and then we got into miracles and, and things like that. So there, there's two things I want to do now. There were a couple more questions, but I'm, I'm sorry, time-wise, we've just got to wrap this up. Um, I wanted to give you a couple books. Um, one, just a little, a little card for coming. Thank you so much. But also, I, I, got, I bought you some reading material. <laughs> because I know you're a smart guy, and I know you like to read. Um, and I want to talk about these for a second, because our initial conversation was that rational thinking took you away from God. And I would like to submit to you that really rational thinking will always draw you towards God. And so I want to get you this book called Miracles is Belief in the Supernatural um, Irrational by John Lennox. This is a, a, a Harvard lecture that he gave, and they made into this little book. I read it in like three hours. It's really great. And he talks about how the supernatural is possible. So I want to give you that book. Um, and then the next one is just there's two of my favorite authors of all time, C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton. These are both like, even though he was not a philosophy 
uh, professor. He could have been a philosophy professor. They stuck him in English and creative writing because he was good at that. But he also taught courses in philosophy. This has mere Christianity, the screw tape letters, the abolition of man, the great divorce, the problem of pain, miracles, which is excellent, by the way, and a grief observed. This is a big, thick book. But if anybody has ever trained me how to think, it's been C.S. Lewis. And I'd like you to just look at it and see the rationality behind his thinking. It's incredible. And then I am not all the way through this yet, because I, I got myself my own copy of this, but Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. In the intro, it talks about he wrote this book because people were upset at some of the claims he made, and he is responding to them. So I wanted to give you Christian solid thinkers. Okay. I mean, these are, this isn't like chicken soup for the Christian soul or anything. <laughs> I mean, this is stuff that you need to work on understanding here. Um, second, we have another video by somebody in our congregation who would like to say thank you for the prayers that he's received from our congregation. And I wanted to share that video with you now and then talk just personally about Kenny for a second. And I also want to thank the congregation for, uh, I know last year in 2013 I had got cancer and what I want to do is thank the congregation for <clears throat> being very uh, supportive of me. And uh, I know I would show up in my mask and be here and not shake hands with people, sit in the back. And, and I just want to thank you because I felt that I should not have been home sitting and just thinking about how sick I was when I was. I was sick, but I rather had been in church than sitting at home and, and doing nothing. But I want to thank everybody for being supportive of me, and I really appreciate it. That's Danny Lopez, and he had cancer last year. And, you know, a week after Kenny and I got some sushi together and spent three hours talking about this, I mean, just, just a testament to how long we could talk about We could talk about this for years. Um, we spent three hours talking about this kind of stuff. Um, just a week later, he found out that he was diagnosed with, is it stage two? Yeah. Stage two testicular cancer. And he's had surgery, so you'll notice he walks a little bit funny and he uses a cane. Um, try not to bump into him, because uh, he just had surgery last Friday. And um, he said it would be okay if we prayed for him. And um, so I would just like you to just join me in a word of prayer for Kenny. And then um, our band is going to come back up and lead us in, in one final song. And uh, then Marlia will come up and, and Marlia and I will end this service uh, together. So would you join me in a word of prayer for my friend Kenny? Father, I just thank you for Kenny. I thank you that he came today. God, I thank you that we were able to have this discussion Lord, and even though um, we might believe different things, like talking to you right now is a delusional act, Lord, I pray that you would reach deep within him and, and that you would touch him and heal him. God, that your goodness and mercy would show up in his life. Father, that you might see, that he might see your goodness through healing. And Lord, even if you choose to don't, uh, not choose not to heal him, Lord, we, we simply pray that, that, uh, that uh, you, you would show yourself to him and that he might see. Lord, um, we pray for the doctors, for the family, for each person that's involved in his case medically. God, for all the steps that need to happen, we pray that uh, even getting the appointments, Lord, that that would be easy and that that would be a process where he would 
um, his, all the way from his oncologist to his general practitioner would, would be, um, it, Lord, it would just be an easy process to get in and get the treatment that he needs. Lord, would you um, continue to work in him and continue to, to, to push these questions, Lord, because I believe that you're the one that stirs up in our hearts that makes us ask these questions anyways. Because as we do, I believe as we rationally We'll come back to you and, and eventually see you. Lord, thank you for Kenny. Thank you for his family for being here today. Thank you for his girls. Lord, we pray that even though this is an emotional and tough process for the family dealing with cancer, God, would you be with his girls and his wife and his mother? And Lord, would you touch them and simply give them comfort and peace in this time? So God, we uh, give this all over to you, and we thank you for our friend Kenny. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.